0: Before I be begin the sermon, I just want to thank all of you for your prayers, for my family and I this week, as, as on Tuesday morning at 1.40, uh, Jamie gave birth to our second daughter, Sydney Victoria Lackey. So, so as it was, I just, again, I'm thankful for the prayers, because when you're delirious, <laughs> prayers help. Also, I'm... I'm it is wonderful that in confirmation you have family members who, who come. And Pastor Dan Gibson took Sunday off to uh, see his niece get baptized. And, and so that's a good thing that you're here as well. Let us, let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, you are always true to your word. Your promises never fail. Lord, we fail. We are walking contradiction, saint and sinner, yes and no. Lord in Christ, your word is not yes or no, but always yes. Help us to utter the truth, the amen. Not just with mouths that praise you, but with hearts that trust your promises. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, who is the truth. Amen. Well, as I told you just a few moments ago, um, our daughter Sydney Victoria was born on Tuesday morning. It's hard to believe looking at her... And looking at Abigail, our first daughter, that Abigail was ever that small. It's even harder to believe that in the blinking of an eye, Sydney is going to be as big as Abigail. I imagine many of the parents are feeling that way today, especially the parents who of who these confirmation students. It seemed like yesterday that you brought them to the house of the Lord to be baptized. And now they're being confirmed. The time goes by quickly. In fact, on Wednesday evening, Perio told me that Sasha was actually baptized at this church when he was a little infant. As the water was poured over his head, and I wonder if you were kicking and screaming, crying. I don't know. (laughs) He wasn't, huh? Okay. But as the water was poured over your head and as the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you were baptized into, God in heaven spoke And he said, you are a keeper. You are a keeper. You're mine. I think too many of us have the wrong idea of what confirmation really is. Many of us think that the focus should be on the students. They are are now voting members of the congregation. They've worked hard. They have the cute white robes on and, and carnations. They should be made much of on this day. But that's not where the focus belongs. Others think that the focus should be on the parents. When you, were, when you had your children baptized, you made a promise, placed the scriptures in their hands and, and the catechisms in their hands. Maybe we should put the focus on them because you've done that and you've worked hard to make sure that they got confirmed. And all of them, and I know this, came to you at least one time and said, I don't want to go to confirmation class. All the parents are going, amen, yes. And so, yes, you deserve a lot of of focus as well. But that's not where the focus belongs. Others think maybe the focus should be on the pastor. I mean, I was the one who had to put up with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders for three years. (laughs) Raging hormones. Attitude problems. I don't want to play that game. I don't like that snack. Maybe I should be made much of. <laughs> nah, you know better than that. No, the real focus on this day belongs to God. In fact, if we're to be honest with ourselves, it's God who's being confirmed on this day. God is the one who's proving that he is faithful. You see, in, the, in holy baptism, God makes important promises to us. Listen to Romans 6.3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or 1 Peter 1, 21 and following. Baptism, Peter writes, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. In other words, God promises much in baptism. God promises salvation. God promises unity with Christ. That's tough. And so the question is. I know. As a pair, I'm hearing crying all week long, and I'm going, oh no. But God promises us much in comfort in, in baptism. And so the question is is God faithful to his promises? Does God keep his promises? Is God really trustworthy? Or to use Paul's language. Is God a God of yes and no contradiction? Or is God a God of yes? Is His word true? Is His promises true? That's what's really being asked on this confirmation day. Can God deliver on the promise in which He makes in baptism? That's what confirmation is about. I have a friend who refuses to baptize his child. My friend's a pastor and in the Presbyterian church, and he refuses to baptize his child. And he says, because if he baptizes his infant child, he thinks that ca- encourages parents to shirk their duty to raise their children in the faith. That's his, his reasoning to me. And we've argued much about this. And finally, one time I asked him, I said, if, you, if your child grows up not to know Christ, not to be saved, who are you gonna blame? And he said to me, he said, I'll blame myself. I said to him in response, If my children are not saved, (laughs) I'm going to stand before God and say it's your fault. Because you promised. That's what's at stake on this day. Does God deliver on his promises? Is God faithful in his promises? That's what confirmation is today. Are we going to say, amen? Your promises are true, Lord. Because your word is true. That's what confirmation is about on this day. Now, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we are the first ones to to doubt God's faithfulness. All of humanity, this happens from the very beginning of time. Eve did not trust God's faithfulness when she ate of that fruit. She trusted the serpent, not God. Now, we're no better. We don't trust God's faithfulness either. We look around at the world, we see natural disasters, and we wonder, how can God be good? Or we look at the economy, and we see the struggles in the economy, and we go, how can God really provide my daily bread? Or we look at the church that's filled with hypocrites, and we wonder, can God really be the savior of these ragamuffins? Did you hear about that woman who invited some people over for dinner? At the table is a church group, and she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Hey, why don't you lead us in blessing, in the blessing? And she was proud, and she was so excited about this. And the child said, You know, Mommy, I don't know what to say. And the mom said, Well, just say what, what you always hear your mom say. Just, just say, say what you hear your mom say. You know where this is going. <laughs> so they all bowed their heads, and she said, This is a little girl's prayer, Lord, Why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? Amen. (laughs) We are sinners and hypocrites. Sasha, I'm glad you called yourself a little sinner up in front of everyone. We are sinners and hypocrites. And that's the charge being made against the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. They were saying to him, Paul, you are a hypocrite. Paul, you promised to come and visit us twice, and you didn't do that. Paul, you must be a man of yes and no. And Paul, if you're a man of yes and no, then maybe your message is a yes and no message, and maybe God is a yes and no kind of God, a contradicting God. And so Paul's response is verse 18 and following, where he says, But as surely as God is faithful... Our message is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, even if I fail to show up for that appointment, the message is true. Because God is true. God is trustworthy, Paul's saying. God's promises are always yes. But it's at this point where we run into the real problem. This is where we get into trouble because doesn't that sound a little too good to be true? I mean, could it really be that all of God's promises find their yes in Christ? This seems a little dangerous if you think about it. I mean, if we're saved in the waters of baptism, then why go to church ever again? If we're saved by faith and not works, why work? If God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous, why be righteous? I usually think about that on Friday nights. (laughs) The complaint is, aren't you taking advantage of God, pastor? Aren't we turning this into cheap grace? And the answer is, well, yes. Yes, we're taking advantage of God. Yes, it's cheap grace. But is there any other kind of grace? You can't have it both ways. If it is grace, then it has to be cheap. If we earn it, it would be a wage. We deserve it. If it's grace, we cannot earn it. If it's grace... We have to take advantage of God. If it's grace, it has to be cheap. Cheap for us, not for God, of course. Timothy Wangert tells a story about a man who was struck by the grace of God. He said, he writes, Ed and Mary Joe had four feisty kids. Soon there'll be a day when people write, Pastor Russ had four feisty kids. <laughs> this much, he says, was for certain. They were feisty. When they moved into town, She, a lifelong Lutheran, and her children joined the congregation immediately. Within a few months, Ed decided to join as well, even though he was raised Roman Catholic. Well, he went to the adult instruction class, and there Timothy Wanger began the class on justification. That's how he always began his classes. And as the class started, Ed, who was this big man who worked for the railroad, he caught on immediately. He said to the pastor, he said, so it's all a matter of God's grace. And Timothy Wenger kind of stood up and said, well, yes, Ed. It's like, yeah, he's getting it. I'm doing a great job. And Ed replied, there's nothing you have to do? And now Timothy Wanger's going, yeah, I'm really doing a good job. And Ed started thinking about this, and he goes, you know, I believe this. Timothy's now really excited because he's doing such a good job teaching And finally, Ed said, just don't tell my kids. (laughs) If it's all about grace, if it's something that we can't do, it's all about God, don't tell the kids. I have to lord something over them, right? See, it seems safer if we turn God into a God of yes and no. Yes, you're free, but don't take advantage of it yes you're saved but don't freeload yes god gives you everything all your daily bread but don't expect much right it's it's, it's we want god to be yes to no. why because it's safe it's so that if we're ever let down or if the devil ever accuses us of something oh then we can say oh that's the no side of god Oh, that's just God's... No. It means as though we just dole out just enough grace to bring us back, but not too much lest we get carried away. In fact, we're the ones who make God into a yes and no God, just to cover our tracks. The only problem is, is that God did not say yes and no. God said Yes. 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 God said, yes, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And it's this last phrase that's so important. This last phrase, in Christ, is the ground for the yes. It's in Christ that we know God says yes. In Christ, we learn that God has loved us. In Christ... The cross stands as our opposition, our no to God. God comes down, and humanity says no, and they nail him to the cross. No to God, no to Jesus, no to everything he was giving. But in Jesus, God was still saying yes, in in spite of us. In spite of our no, God was still saying yes. In Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Or Romans 8.35. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of the sword? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ, who loved us. Without Christ, we would hear God say no, but with Christ, we hear God say yes. In Christ, the glory of God has come upon us. God said yes. And so I want to end with this final word. Confirmation students, Rhonda, Sasha, Noah, I have one final lesson for you. My lesson is one word. Do you know what that word is? No. You haven't listened. I normally say yes. Yes. There you go. That's the final lesson for you. Yes. In the waters of baptism, God said yes to you. In the absolution, God says yes, you are forgiven. At the Lord's table, which two of you will receive for the first time, God says, yes, this is my body, this is my blood given for you. Is this a gift? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. Yes. Is it the work of God? Yes. Yes. It's yes, 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 all the way home. And when you die, you will hear a whisper. It will be Christ whispering to you as he says, Yes, come unto me. And on that last day, it will no longer be a whisper but a shout. As Christ says, yes, you are mine. Yes, be with me in paradise. Yes, God dwells with man. Yes, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. yes. This is most certainly true. Yes, yes, yes. In Jesus' name, yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah, someone said it. Yes.